Hey everyone, what follows is less a plot breakdown and film review and more a historic contextualization of the importance of Die Hard as a film. So if you haven't seen it, I would tell you to see it. And if you have, watch it again, because you know it's great. Anyway, enjoy the show. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Over Under Fair, the final word in pop culture relevance. I am your host, as ever, Dave Roldan. With me in the studio, we got our OG crew here. Lacey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Awesome. Producer Roger, what's going on? Salutations, everybody. Yeah, so we're we're running a we're running a tight ship today, guys. We got three of us in here. We're gonna we're gonna see how this goes. We're guestless. Which is no no offense to anyone out there that is that was potentially a guest. Bullshit. I'm a <laughs> Tis the season to be offended, as it were. Be offended. You should be offended. This is directly <laughs> intended to insult you. To insult every guests. person that former was. Former guests of yes, Over Under That Fair. has been here or would Merry be here. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but fuck you. <laughs> yes, we are in the spirit of Christmas uh, and in the spirit of anniversaries, which we, we celebrate here highly. We got the three of us together and we are going to talk about Die Hard, the 1988 action thriller classic that we all know and love. I know what you're thinking, and we'll talk about that, <laughs> but that's not why we're doing it. It is the 30th anniversary of this movie, which is really why we were doing it. Uh, I wanted to do it over the summer, and it didn't come around, so that's fine. So we figured we'd save it until now, and again, that will become appropriate in a couple of minutes. Uh, real quick, real quick, as, usually, as we usually do at the top here, to kind of check in on how we felt about this coming into the episode beforehand, I'll, just, I'll start and tell you that this is one of my favorite movies ever, uh, as a pure action you know, thrill ride. I'm not going to say like, oh, it's the Seven Samurai, but it's a great fucking movie. It's super fun. I think it's probably the best action movie ever. If it's not, it's definitely in the conversation. And I love it to pieces. Uh, Roger. <laughs> I particularly like this movie a lot because it was one of those movies that is a family. I always talk about this on every episode, but my, I have an, an emotional t- attachment to it. It's one of the first movies I got to watch on VHS with my father oh, and right. my brother. So we, I never seen it in the theaters. I know it's playing somewhere. Uh, yeah, it, it yeah, around this time. Yeah, again, we'll talk about why. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I I definitely dig this movie. I love the first two quite a bit. All right, rad, rad. Lacey, this was a little different for you because I believe you'd seen this movie before we talked about it. Um, I my dad really likes this movie, okay. and he would always. I th- okay, so I was thinking about this yesterday because I watched it yesterday on DVD, you know, from beginning to end. And my dad had recorded it from the television on VHS, you know, where you could hit record on the VCR. And he had it like hastily labeled. And it was like one of those things where it was like, oh, I want to record an episode of The Simpsons, but don't record over dad's diehard tape, <laughs> you know? So he really liked it, and he used to always play it. Uh, was it recorded from, like, HBO or something? I, I think it was, like, HBO or something, because I don't recall. There, and, there oh, might man. have been commercials, but I don't okay. I don't really remember, because that's the thing, is I was never really that interested in right, it. Right, yeah, okay. Um, you know, I was, like, what? I was three when this movie came out, so by the time it hit TV, I was probably, like, five. I didn't really have much interest in, like... I still just kind of wanted to watch, like, yeah. the Snorks or something. Yeah. So <laughs> I wasn't really interested in Die Hard. But I had seen it in bits and pieces. And then um, I think I saw it years and years ago from beginning to end. But I rewatched it this week. And, yeah, I have no emotional attachment to it. So it was almost like watching it fresh again. 
and I it's, envy you. it's fine. Like I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't, but I didn't hate it. I, you know, I have some good feelings about it and some just kind of like eh, whatever sure. feelings. It's it's hard to watch something like this now and not for me specifically. It's hard to watch a movie specifically Die Hard, like in this case, and not think of it in the context of when it was released. Yeah, because like I. I very often try to do that to remember when things are made and compare them to how things are now. And it's really difficult to pull this one too far forward because as much as it is kind of timeless, because it's it's not super 80s, even though it could be in parts, mm-hmm. it's it's so very much tropey, like in the ways that everything after it would become. But that's right. because everything after it tried to be diehard. Right. And that's... In my mind, it's difficult to appreciate some of it the same way because it is, it's so rote. Like, there's so many things that keep, have been pulled from this movie specifically, you know, like handsome foreign villains and the way, the way you structure your plots and things like that. And it's, it is super imperative that anybody that has ever liked an action movie, if you haven't watched this movie somehow, watch this with as clear a mind as you can about it to judge it for what it was and not what it is currently, even though I think currently it's still great. But I think that helps, like it, to put that in the context of where where we're starting from our show. That this is one of the greatest action movies ever, and it's it's because of it that it's like it's almost not as good as it used to be. <laughs> like it's almost its own fault. Right. Well, for me, it was kind of hard to watch it without like the expectation of it being amazing. Sure. Yeah. That because too. I know how like universally like loved this movie is you know so it was kind of difficult for me and like i said i've seen it in bits and pieces and i believe i have seen it all the way through before because a lot of this stuff seemed familiar to me but right um yeah it was difficult for me to watch it and be like kind of kind of really take it in and think to myself like oh how does this movie stand up but i mean ultimately at the end of it like i wasn't like pissed off that i spent two hours (laughs) watching this movie like it it wasn't bad so you know it's interesting, too, is that that movie at that time, even if you think about it now in the grand scheme of things, was making fun of the Arnold Schwarzenegger's, the Silver, Sylvester Stallone stuff. Yeah. It was making fun kinda of it. I kind of got that, yeah. Yeah, and like I didn't get that then, but then when I rewatched it again, I kind of picked up on it that it dawned on me that it was different than anything else that was out there at that given time. And I mean, you look at stuff like Cobra, there's uh, Commander, or is it Commando? Commando, sorry, Commando. Commando, sorry, Commando, Predator to a certain extent, which was made by 20th Century Fox. It was different from anything that was out at the time, and that, I think, what makes it unique and kind of set a tone for stuff that would go in the 90s, like Tango and Cash and other... I, <laughs> other uh, what a classic. Yeah, other uh, good junk, as I like to say. Sure, like the Lethal Weapon franchise. Yeah. I mean, the first one started came out before this one, but, you know, the sequels... The sequel is high. Yeah. Like, hi, we have a villain sure. accent. Yeah. It's, it's funny, too, that this movie, this movie does write and feel like it is sort of lampooning some of the stuff that kind of led it to where it is but it's made by all the people that made those movies which is why i think it's particularly hilarious that this movie is as good as it is um arnold schwarzenegger was originally offered the role like the the starring role in this movie it was going to be him uh like as john mcclain as john mcclain yeah oh that would have been weird (laughs) yeah exactly yippee motherfucker (laughs) yeah yeah, this was originally everybody sounds like they're from austria (laughs) and all the people that did this were like I said, they were related to these movies. John McTiernan had directed Predator, so he, he worked with Arnold there, the director of this film, John McTiernan. Uh, Steven D'Souza had written Commando and also written other action movies of this stripe. So, like, the the 
the even down to the production designers like in the cinematography and stuff all these people had worked in action films with these types of people Sylvester Stallone's and Arnold Schwarzenegger's but it wasn't until they put a guy like Bruce Willis who was only known for moonlighting at that point into this movie that it became kind of a meta examination of what an action movie is and i think that's super funny like it could have been another one of those movies if you if arnold schwarzenegger was in this movie it would probably yeah, not be as good totally. like it just wouldn't be as good and i think that speaks a lot to the importance of having a more everyman kind of approach to it because it was not going to be that movie like to list off the people that were offered this movie before bruce willis arnold schwarzenegger richard Gere, clint eastwood sylvester stallone burt reynolds harrison ford don johnson nick nolte mel gibson and macgyver himself richard teen anderson every one of those dudes was offered this movie before bruce willis that's crazy i didn't richard, know that. wait I'm surprised the guy from MacGyver said no, or he didn't want to be typecasted. I'm, I'm right? Assuming. Yeah. Ah, like, okay. All right, I, I mean, I it's nuts, right? Like, yeah. that Bruce Willis isn't the first, second, or tenth choice. Like, the dude is literally the last of the people. This this script was a joke at the time that went into production because they couldn't find a star in it. And when they did, they tapped a television actor. Like, that was, So you know, is this Bruce Willis's kind of, like, first movie role? Yeah, this is, is a his breakout. First... This is, like, his first starring role. Like, wow. he, he had done something before this, I think, in, like, 87, but... It was like a romantic comedy or something. Something closer to Moonlighting right. because that was what he was known for, which was a you know, a romantic yeah. kind of comedy sitcom. And he went way out on a limb to make this movie. And here we are talking about it 30 years later because it's yeah. it's super important to him and to everybody that did and it. And he kind of became like an action guy. After yeah, this, this was right? his transition like, into what was doing the other, more stuff. He, I know he's been in some other action movies. I just can't recall it off the top of my head. Bruce Willis. I'm thinking of outside of the Die Hard franchise. I mean, Pulp Fiction, I guess, would be considered a action movie. I guess. Sure. I mean, in its in its way, but he's. I don't know. You want to but say it he's took the star him, of it? But... It took him from like rom com guy. <laughs> yeah, to, to be like... to be more dramatic action guy. I mean, he like recently he's been in. Uh, what are those? What are those old person action movies? What are the, what are the names of those? Oh, uh, with the the, is, it, is it Red? Is with, that the oh, name oh, of that franchise? Oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, with yeah. Helen Red. Mirren and yeah. Malkovich. But like, oh, like the Fifth Element. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Twelve Monkeys, like sci-fi shit. Okay, so like okay, Armageddon. Right. How am I? See, that's Dumb. yeah. All okay, the late yeah. period Bruce Willis shit. It's all starting. To come <laughs> we out all here. just like blanked out yeah, for a second. For a minute, there we yeah. are. Yeah. But yeah, like this was that was the Bruce Willis that existed prior to Die Hard, and then there was a Bruce Willis after Die Hard, and that's where he became famous. And to think that it took all of that moving and shaking to get him into this movie is kind of cool. Like, this yeah. this could have been a completely different thing. And I am... Just reading reading the people that were supposed to be in this movie before him, this movie would have been bad. Like, yeah, almost it, across the Richard, board, any one of those people. Can you imagine Richard Gere? Richard Gere is just a prick. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't sympathize with Richard Gere. No. Like, the guy's so pompous. Yeah. <laughs> or I, can't, I can't even sympathize with, like... What I find ironic, too, is that Cliffhanger, which is stars Sylvester Stallone, is essentially diehard on a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that... This is okay. We'll talk about. I have a specific thing for that later. So let's okay. let's let's actually jump into the meat of the conversation. So beforehand, I said we would allude to some things, and that's how we're going to do it. But for the first time, I thought we should do this in kind of the kind of the structure of how we normally talk about a thing. But we'll, we're going to try it in segments because there's there have been topics in the past, like the the Attitude Era being the one that I can immediately call to mind, where we had a lot of things to say about a lot of different moving parts, and we didn't have enough structure to keep the conversation in a way that felt, you know, linear enough to where we could digest it piece by piece. So I thought this time we'd try to break it down. So we'll do this going forward for things like movies or a time period or whatever weird shit that we end up covering on this show. And we're going to break it down into three segments. And I had a lot of trouble thinking of what they should be called. So I just (laughs) thought 
why not use the show's name? I'm kidding. It was easy. So the over, we will talk about, you know, the parts of this, the parts of this movie that are perhaps overrated or maybe over overwrought. Some of it that might just be over discussed, wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, things that we don't think are necessarily as important or too important in the history and the legacy of this film. Uh, the under being exact opposite of that things that people might've missed seeing it the first time or the 15th time. Like I did a couple of things and things that might've gone unsung or maybe underappreciated across the lifetime of this film in 30 years. And then the fair, we'll just talk about what is fairly criticized or praised for this film and pretty straightforward. By the time we're done, we'll have properly assessed diehard the film and everything that comes along with that. Sounds good to everybody? Sounds good to me. Yes, sir. Cool. Brief point of note, we are not covering the rest of the movies, and we're not doing a Die Hard franchise episode. We'll discuss all of them in in briefness at the end of this, but I just wanted to say out front, the reason it's Die Hard is because the sequels all suck. So that was easy for me to make that decision. This is my show. I decided we talk about Die Hard. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, more on that at the end. Um, So let's just jump into it. We can kind of talk about the movie chronologically, like the story of the film as we talk about you know, the aspects of this movie that we think are whatever. And starting with the overrated, uh, let's just come right out and say it. It doesn't matter if this movie is a Christmas movie or not. It's a great fucking movie. I mean, I'd ask you guys if you think it's a Christmas movie, but I don't really care. So <laughs> if you want to talk about it, we can, because we can if you feel like it. But I don't know when that came in the lexicon of things. Uh, popular culturally about eight years ago. It started showing up on the internet in a way like actually Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Yeah, there was a there was a show I used to work on that talked about that at length, and I don't give a shit. I don't care. I don't know why this argument exists. Is it just because they need some sort of headline out there? I guess. Sure. I don't give a fuck. Sorry. Yeah, I don't. I don't really care either way. Honestly, um, <clears throat> I don't feel like it. It is a Christmas movie. It's a movie that clearly takes place on Christmas Eve, but. I mean, if people feel like it's a Christmas movie because it takes place during Christmas and they that's what it's something that they watch around Christmas and makes them think of Christmas. Right. Sure. I, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, okay. go ahead. I, I'm with you. Uh, this is a movie that historically I have and do watch on Christmas. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend I don't. I love putting this movie in the context of a Christmas movie because it's fun to break up the monotony of happy Christmas movies. So sometimes I like seeing people get murked and that's, that does that for me instead of just watching Rudolph. I like both, (laughs) but (laughs) you know, I, it isn't important. I think that's the thing that we get too wrapped up in. Like I get that people want, you know, you, you created, you create a dialogue and people talk about things and you know, you want people to engage in conversations about shit, but as far as unimportant conversations about nonsense pop culture stuff goes, this is the literal bottom of the barrel for me. I don't care. I don't care if anyone thinks it's a Christmas movie or doesn't. Just watch the movie and think it's great. That's all that matters to me is that you see it because it's it's way better than any conversation to be had about its Christmasness. I don't know. The whole thing's dumb. But that's the most overrated aspect of this entire movie is whether or not it, it's a fucking Christmas film. Yeah, so no, I agree. We I got mean, that part right out of the fucking They way. They open, it's Christmas Eve, they mention that it's Christmas Eve, yeah. and then they continuously remind It's you, the impetus for the, which the plot starting. I, would, I really like that. They yeah. kind of just throw it in there because, first of all, it's in LA, so, you know. It's not going to look like Christmas. It's not going to yeah. look like, like the Christmas that we Michigan that, people yeah, know. Yeah, Midwestern people <laughs> are more accustomed to <clears throat> um, but also because Christmas is in your face around Christmas time, mm-hmm. 
like Carl Winslow would be singing Let It Snow <laughs> in L.A. You know, so I don't know. That's whatever. But yeah, Christmas movie or not, honestly, I don't care. I think it's it's a an amusing argument to have for like two seconds. But, you yeah. know, uh, eight years is a little too long. So. For sure. And it's, it feels like it flares up every year, too. Like people forget that they argued about it a year ago. And yeah. that's fine. OK, we've already talked about it too long, but we've said what we had to say. Are there any other things that anyone I'm going to tell, tell you flat out? I don't think a single aspect of this movie is overrated. So if anybody wants to jump in on the overrated first, we'll start there. Um, I mean, I, like I said, and when we talked about before the segment was, I just kind of found the whole movie to be like fine. So I guess as a whole, I think everybody, the way they talk about it to me is kind of makes it overrated just on a whole, but what, what's keeping you what aspects of it then are keeping you from saying it's good? Well, it's 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 not that I don't think it's good. Like I thought it was a good what movie. What aspects are keeping you from saying it's <laughs> it's great? great. <laughs> um I don't know. I just I, well, here's the thing. Like that that's I it requires some explanation. I'm that's not really an action movie person. So, action movies really aren't my jam. Like I don't really seek them out to watch them. Um I occasionally enjoy an action movie when I watch it. But I find that I just have to, like, in the beginning, when it's getting started, I have to remind myself to just surrender to it. It takes a while to get going. And I think that's a good thing about it. But I, if you're not accustomed to wanting to just, if you're not accustomed to having to wait for it, this right. does make you wait. Like, in a way, again, I think is a payoff. But if it's like, well, this is an action movie, there's no action for, like, 40 minutes. It's, it's just setting up the plot. Yeah. I know? mean... Was it that long? Because I, I actually, that would have been one of my, my, what I had pointed out as fair. Like, I thought it got going fairly quickly. Like, it's, it feels quicker than it is because mm-hmm. the movie is paced so well. Yeah. But it does take like a full 30 minutes, I think, before anybody even has a gun. Like, it, okay. it takes a little bit of setting up. And, it, and like, again, it's, I think part of the strength of this movie is that it doesn't make you feel like it takes a long time because everything happens at a good pace. Yeah. Like you, you meet all the characters the in the thing. right order. You know, you, you get your villain established pretty quickly, even without them being super menacing right away. No one's dead. Right. So, you know, every, all of the stakes are set out before anything really happens and it takes like a solid half an hour building and then you're off to the races, but it's still, it goes pretty quick. I just, yeah, I don't know. There's just, I like I said, I'm not really an action movie person. As far as action movies goes, like it was, enter- it entertained me for for two hours. It was cool. Um, I prefer my action to be more hand to hand. Okay, yeah, and almost have this like, is kind of lacking that kind of. I don't want to say like a twist, but like. I like, you know, clever things happen and, oh, that was cool. Like, I love the John Wick movies. Right, right, right. Stuff yeah. like that. So that's just kind of my jam when it comes to action. So I don't know. It, it, like I said, I'm, I mean, maybe I'm not the right person to ask about it, but just as like a general movie watcher, it was kind of just like, all right, die hard. Yeah, it was good. I wasn't mad that I watched it. Like, I enjoyed it. It was good. But I just didn't think... Um, and maybe it was because my expectations were so high, like I said earlier, with, oh, yeah. you know, but yeah, that was it. Yeah. It was overrated. I mean, I guess the only thing I would have to say really is the uh, the one-liner, kind of like the, the catchphrase. Oh, the kind how of, dare you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> only because, but then again, that's a trope of that era 
I'm using that word more. No, I think so. I think tropes. I'm glad you brought it up. We'll expound a little bit on that because I think that's fair. So I mean, because for example, every movie at that time, up to that period of time, has some sort of like one-liner or some sort of line like you can that would make the action star stand out a little bit, and mm-hmm. that was incorporated with this with Yippie Kaya, and it was. The way Bruce Willis did it, though, I, I don't know why it's different, but it's still kind of like that. Oh, you know, like that when when the uh, the scream, the uh, what's it, the the, uh, the Wilhelm scream, the Wilhelm scream yeah. is kind of like the same kind of premise. Where I'm like, uh, like I, I I get you. I've in that isolated incident of that line specifically. It's it's that it's become such a thing after the fact. Like as a total throwaway line, and in context of the conversation they're having in the movie, it's really funny. Like yeah. you know him calling him a cowboy and. But not like a conventional cowboy, and then he gets to swear. I mean, he loves Roy Rogers and all this shit. Yeah. So it's it's a funny nod to Roy Rogers and to his own maverickness in the as a character. But it's that it it then comes back in every movie afterwards that makes it like oh, uh, because then you now that you hear it again, you're like oh that line. And it's it's referenced in other things. It shows up as that in other movies, and you know even the parody line of like. Uh, what the yippee ki Mr. Falcon, like yeah. the edited version of the line has become its own meme now. So like you, you have enough time to gestate on it and yes, it becomes, it becomes a thing where you're like, Oh fuck one liners. But uh, you know, again, at the time it would have been a lot funnier, <laughs> but that's not, you're not wrong though, because the, there are tropes all over this movie that are, it does better than other movies, but they are still here. You know, like the, the one that I always have a big problem with is the, the death is so personal of uh, what's uh, Carl's brother. I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah. The yeah. death is so personal that once he actually finds Bruce Willis, he has to fight him hand to hand instead yeah. of just shooting him in the goddamn head. Like, that's the biggest action movie trope that is always the most annoying. Like, I know that we're not always clamoring for realism in these films. Right. But for a movie that is doing a pretty serviceable job of keeping things believable, 99% of the time to have that fly up, fly up in your face so late in the movie you're like man that's kind of a bummer like in a way that was sort of annoying that's always kind of annoyed me or anyway. even like at the end like he comes out yeah and then, and then the trope of the guy the you know one dude is never dead like someone has to come back yeah and somebody has to be a threat even though the threats are all gone like that's another trope that is used to death in action movies and, and horror movies. And then the side movie. character gets to yep, have their we, day and in he the gets sun. To, yes, and we set that redemption up in the middle of the fucking movie yep. to have it pay off at the end. Like, the plot does well to do that. It's, it's, it sets it up and it pays it off. That's good for the plot, but right. it doesn't need to be set up or paid off. Like it's, It could have been not necessary. And the same effect. You still would have felt as good about, you know... Uh, Officer Powell, as as you do through the film, without him needing to get a redemption arc, because he doesn't need to be redeemed. Like he could have just been the dude that was helping him through the whole thing. It would have been fine. But tropes are a big, kind of a big pock on this movie. I think in general, like some of the some of the more eightiesness of it, like the you know the the decor and the some of the the period dress, like Bonnie Bedelia's hair. All these things are like super. Super dating in a way that is not awesome, and that that kind of puts a a little bit against this movie. It can't help when it's made, but it is what it is. I yeah, I mean, I I didn't think it was that bad. I think some movies. So you're gonna rock the hair for yourself? I yeah. think you could pull it off. No, 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 no. I'm, <laughs> I'm not talking about that bad in that kind of. <laughs> I know. What you mean. I mean, it was bad. It was the '80s, but um, <laughs> I di- I didn't think like the cult the. Time, the sign of the times was that prevalent. I mean, it looked like it was the 80s B 
because it was. Right, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't so in your face. Like, you know, I, I noticed, I think, at one point uh, when Hans is, like, talking to the boss um, of the company before he, like, takes him up and kills Mr. him. Mr. Takagi. Thank you. And he he comments on his suit, and he's like, I've heard Arafat has true himself. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, did they just drop a Yasser Arafat reference yeah, like in did. the middle? Like, it's. I think a lot of people wouldn't know what that means nowadays. Well, not a lot of people, but a lot of younger people wouldn't know what that is. But it was prevalent in the news at the time. But I think a lot of movies will do that stuff that will make you go, what? And then, of course, there's the <laughs> yeah. whole, like... Nobody has cell phones to call out. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, <laughs> our boy Argyle has a car phone, but like nobody has cell phones to call out from the tower. You know, um, he walks in and they tell him to use a touch screen, and he's like, whoa, cute, Cat. cute toy. California. Yeah. And, and, and it's like now everything is touch I know. screen. Like, it's, yeah. I can't even get served a meal at a, at a Applebee's <laughs> without them wanting to touch a screen you know wanting me to touch a screen so. i know right fuck that's true yeah you can't just sit down and fucking have someone order your food all right now this isn't that podcast yeah. let's let's not talk about technology stay tuned for over under fair lacy and dave bitch about the ordering process at their favorite chain restaurant yeah stay tuned to over under fair we're old yeah. <laughs> we're not doing that show um i think we, we could i think uh i think something that is also sort of sort of overstated about this movie is its importance like i'm i'm sitting here doing it like yeah. being the person that is kind of like you know waving the flag for this movie but as much as i think this is the greatest action movie ever because of its importance in the historical canon of films i would agree with you that there are movies that i watch more frequently as action films than i do this sure like you mentioned john wick those movies are amazing yeah. like and that is because of the physicality of them. This movie is lacking in that area. Like there's, there's a lot of cerebral and there is a lot of action gun violence and, you know, chasing and things, but there's not a lot of just hand to hand dudes punching each other. And then when it happens, it looks kind of bad. Like, you know, Bruce Willis at this point in his career is not known for his action prowess. So he looks a little outmatched, which is part of the, part of the character. And that, that makes sense. I mean, he's a cop, right? He's just a cop. Yeah. Yeah, He's not, Not he's not some, right. He isn't, he isn't what he will become in later films where he's just like this nonsense, perfect fighter. Like he becomes like this, like unbeatable brawler, a super action hero as these movies go on. But in the first one, he's just kind of an unassuming guy. But as someone that loves that aspect of action movies, it's missing in this movie. And that's, Again, it's not a bad thing, but I do think that some of the things that this movie does right, it's it's doing in place of the things it isn't doing as well or sure. at all in the in the case it, of like fighting. It, I always think like when I see movies like I love the hand to hand combat. Like I just think it's really super fun to watch people beat each other up. I agree. Um, hi Ray, and um, <laughs> I just <laughs> I I think it's really really fun to watch each other. You know, watch people do that like stage combat and stuff. But at the same time, like, I understand why movies like this have, you know, it's all guns and stuff. Because, I mean, if we're being honest, like, that's kind of what it would be. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, why why do I want to get into some, like, spicy Krav Maga match with somebody when I could just shoot him in the head with a, you know. <laughs> spicy Krav Maga. I don't know. I mean, I get it. I just, I think it's funner to watch the, the fist fights, but... Yeah, I like the minimal aspect of it because it's not where at you know in every action movie there's conveniently a gas 
can next to a car that you shot okay. at it will close explode. And that definitely lacks that movie in this movie, but that's what I like about it. In terms of the if we talk about action sequences alone, I mean the whole yeah, he didn't have shoes on, what have you and that became kind of a, the plot vice, but it was just the way I think he made the most of every situation kind of was like at the time I think you can pull it from from MacGyver. I mean, if we're talking like if we're being honest here about that kind of but that's what I liked about it. He he made what he made the best of what was around him and he didn't have I mean he he had a machine gun until he uh until he killed his the the first guy, but seemingly he had he just used like just the chair, he used his environment, he was he yeah. was surrounded of it all. But it wasn't like superhero. He's like, okay, well, that metal beam over there. Like he, no, you're like, right. He's, he's not. He's not like yeah, calling yeah. shots and like yeah. setting up crazy, you know, fucking Rube Goldberg devices to make things happen in a sequence yeah. that only he could see. Like it's not like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's like he was just doing what a cop would do. Look at what he, his situation. Right, right. And 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 you know, he's a detective, so obviously he's going to just look and, and surround the situation. And that that was it. And that's that's what I liked about that. It was, it felt. I don't want to say realistic, but it did have an element of like okay, realism. It yeah, does. It yeah. does. It really yeah, buy, does. I could buy this. Yeah. It yeah. isn't. Yeah. It isn't so far fetched to believe that the beginning of this film could be that way. Like a guy is trapped and no one knows he's there and he isn't really sure what he's going to be able to do. And then he gets into a fight with a dude and kills him and takes a gun. Like this is all the setup for this movie is all realistic to the extent that it's happening in a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't. It's, I don't think it's too big of an ask for me to believe that this could happen. No, I, like, it's not. It, as it, gets, as it goes event. on, yeah, it becomes it a little far fetched. That's but, fine. I mean, the, like yeah, I said, you surrender to that sure. when, when you're having a you know fun. But yeah, when it first starts off, it's not like. Yeah, I, I agree. It's 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 realistic enough where I'm not like, what? <laughs> you yeah, know? and it's not. It's it's. I only think that's important to mention because it isn't it's trying to it's trying to portray that like the movie is trying to show you that this guy is against the odds and it is bad for him but it isn't ever setting it up to the point where you don't think he actually could manage the situation entirely like mm-hmm. you think there's a slim chance in every situation he's in like you're you're willing to believe that this guy has a shred of a chance and that's by design which we will go into and in, I think the under section which is one of the things I think is so great about this movie that I am kind of really just paying attention to for the last few times I've watched it is the design of this film. Like, the specific way in which they get John McClane to and from scene to scene and how everything is staged. Mm-hmm. So, the building that this is filmed in was the the Fox, uh, 20th Century Fox, like, satellite building. Like, it was their headquarters. And they filmed this while it was under construction. So, like, certain levels and floors and stuff are still being built. And they they incorporate that into the movie so that was a specific destruct um sorry a specific uh i just forgot the name of the words the guy set designer like the the guy that designs like the production design there you go those are the words so the production designer specifically made each floor that we are going to different like there's like the constructed floor like the being constructed floor yeah you know he's moving around and there's ladders and paint buckets and all that shit kind of laying around and there's the boardroom which has a very specific look to that there's the floor the party is on which has a specific look like has a party yeah it has a party yeah. and like it has the fountain and it has you know like a big open space Christmas tree. right so it has every single level of this building looks like a 
video game level. Like it's yeah. all designed differently because each one of them, each one of them has a different set of things to worry about and prioritize. And I think that's super awesome. I don't know how it took me 30 fucking years to realize that. You're very perceptive. It helps. It helps to separate because when you're going up in a big bill, when you're working with a big building like that, yeah, it's not like, where is he? Where are they? Right. You, you can tell they're on different floors because, you know. Yeah. Oh, he's in the, he's in the glass room where yeah. all the glass is. Like, the concrete. There's a lot of concrete in one of them. I yeah. to remember. And yeah. then there was the fucking 80s trophy as hell, like super industrial room where there's yeah. chains and that's where they fight because there's every fucking 80s movie has a fight in an industrial setting yeah but that but it's there like it's it's all designed to make it easier as a viewer to pinpoint that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and it's i think that was an incredibly well stated job by them to set out to do that Mm -hmm. without really saying it like they're not telling the viewer you know john isn't saying out loud like oh this is the classroom like he's looking around like seeing the room like levels he's on right he's not (laughs) calling it out for you you as a viewer have to make the steps yourself and they do that super well like i think that's a a definite underappreciated thing about this movie even like the uh the front security when he walks in with uh, the touchscreen you guys making fun of it earlier but that's kind of like a trope of the 80s too because a lot of those Buildings have that same kind yeah, of yeah, well, that the burgeoning technology yeah. of the yeah. late '80s. Yeah, yeah. that's and, that's all over those movies. Yeah, and it captured that well. But I, I don't know. Even like the 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 area where they're all hanging out in the kind of what the the glass um, atrium. I don't know what you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, whatever you want to call that. Um, yeah, it's shop. But then when when they get up in the elevator, they're all like huddled up in a smaller room. So it almost like you kind of wonder what happened to that. Mm-hmm. It went from really into or really open to just suddenly really intimate really quick. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Roger, because that was the next thing I was going to bring up. Um, also oh, within, yeah, also within the production design and the, um, you know, the way that they had set these floors up, the cinematography. I, I'm not saying these people's names. I, I'm sorry. It's we haven't done a movie before, so I don't know if I should or shouldn't, but I will because I like these people. Um, Jan de Bont is who the cinematographer of this movie is. Also did notable action films like Speed and uh some other shit i'm forgetting he may have done uh, armageddon i don't remember but he's it, he is an action cinematographer it's like something he's known for and they create the 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 illusion and then the suppression of space through this whole movie is a very deliberate thing that they as the production designer and the cinematographer and the editor and the director they all were conscious of how they were going to frame all of the shots specifically with Bruce Willis. Like it's very much with Bruce Willis, but it's also to a lesser extent, everybody else. But when Bruce Willis is showing up on a, in a scene, he's always shown in scenes where he isn't really sure of what is happening from the left side of the screen. And I didn't even think about this until I watched it this time and went and read a whole bunch of notes about this shit. So he's in a situation he isn't sure of and is not sure how to like manage things. He starts from the left and in any scene where he is in control of his situation or when he has, like, the upper hand, he is framed from the right. And they move him in those two spaces and into smaller spaces when he is actually trapped. You're amazing. You figured this all out already. Like, through the whole movie, you can watch it and have this be proven. Like, when when he's talking to Ellis on the telephone, like, later on when Ellis is clearly going to die, it is a super tight shot of his face. And it's the first time they've done that in the whole movie because for the... Apart from him crawling through rafters where he or through ducts where he's clearly, you know, enclosed and claustrophobic, the other shots of him that tight are when he's completely out of control. Like there's nothing he can do to further any kind of situation apart from what is happening. He's hands off, and it's awesome. Like I, I'm sorry if I sound kind of excited about this because it's the first time I've ever noticed it. Like the way that they designed this movie was on purpose to make you feel that way through the movements of rooms, and I'm glad you 
caught it because that is like 100% a thing. Like it is by design. Yeah, because it was so something, especially even in that scene too where he does that, where he has the gun kind of close to his face and he shoots that guy up. Same thing, kind of like they, the way they kind of framed it like that. But on the right, uh, on the right side yeah, of the shot, I would the right, like to point out. Yeah, exactly. And that's something, but it was every time, even the, the, the opening sequence where he walks into the room under construction, it's the same thing. Uh, I, I, it's just something about the way I, I, something I noticed, but I've always kind of like felt that with the focus on the building at first, you see the building, you see that out shot of when they're you know driving up with the limo and everything. And then the garage, even the way the garage was shot too, was just like everything. The yeah, whole movie is, yeah. is by design filmed that way for, I mean, that's true for lots of movies. Like that's not pretend that, you know, filmmakers aren't trying to communicate visually in right. subtle cues and ways, but I think it's super cool for a movie, this movie, to try this hard because it's an action movie. You don't have to do that. Like, right. That's not something that is expected of you to do. And, like, it's not something that all of them did prior no. to this, you know. But it is something that even if you didn't notice it before, like, it does, like, have an effect on you as the viewer. Absolutely. Like, that's, like, how you said how they frame him so tight when he's actually trapped. That makes you feel closed in if you're submersed in it, you know, the experience. So that's actually really cool. I didn't notice it either, but... I'm sure my brain subtly did. <laughs> no, I know. That, that's It's same. Like It's not something that I had recognized immediately, but that's something... The claustrophobia thing is one thing. Like that, yes, you're super closed sure. in. You film it tight because you're supposed to feel closed in. Mm -hmm. But the actual movement through the film of him moving from the left sides of screens to the right sides of screens was completely subtle and completely subconsciously. I had no idea that that's yeah. why I felt that way about those things. But it works. It 100% works. And mm -hmm. it's... Again, it's by design. Like, all of that is set up through, you know, the production and through the cinematography and stuff. And that's, like, a fucking... If if anybody ever questions, like, the importance of editing and, like, shot selection in a movie, like, this is the kind of movie I want to point to. Like, it's something... It's something that's not even arty. Like, it's a fucking action thriller. This right. was released a summer blockbuster. Like, you can you can try all the time. Like, that's that's the way I look at it. You know what I mean? You can always make these things something that is important because it should be. So... Again, that's more of a movie viewer kind of thing, I guess, like a you know habitual movie watcher kind of thing, to be that important to me. But but it, I mean, it can be the argument can be made that like things like that clearly made a difference in the longevity of this film. Oh yeah, like I agree. where people might not realize that that was a thing, but like I said, like it's subtle and it invokes a certain feeling in you, and maybe that's why we're talking about Die Hard thirty years later and not you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Tangled Cash. Or Commando, I guess. Yeah, is Commando like a, like a or something, something like that. Like, Cobra. I mean, like you said, it's, it's not like a lot of other movies don't do this, but like for them to be so committed to that, yeah. it's really interesting. And like may, maybe that's one of the reasons why this movie has, has had the longevity yeah. that no, it I'm has. With you. I think it's it's all the things. I think that's that's the most underrated aspect of this movie, if we're still talking about unders. Yeah. Is that the... It's the little, it's the, the, the parts to make all of the sum of this film are so, so vast across the whole movie, sure. you know, and then to put all of them into play and put all of them together in a way that makes this movie so good and so memorable, right down to, you know, like I was talking about scene selection and things like that. And then the score, mm -hmm. which is also like an incredibly well-noted, Michael Kamen produced the score for this movie. Um, also a very notable, you know, uh, score guy. I'm having trouble with words today. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um score guy <laughs> yeah you know he does he does that scores dude. he makes movies he makes music for movies 
how about conductor? That's a word I was looking for. That could be that could be used. But he has the same like one or two songs used as as light motifs for each of his characters across the whole film. Mm-hmm. If it's not just using it outright, like Ode to Joy for all the villains, uh, it's used through the whole movie. If it's not just straight up, you know, the full on Beethoven ass version of it, it's very small selections or you know. In improvisations on notes that make it recognizable but not entirely sure. so you know top to bottom like this top to bottom everybody is doing their best to make this movie a cohesive thing and it's it's notable to me like it's it's worth pointing out i also want to point out what's underrated too is the secondary characters like richard thornburg and paul gleason roger you're you're killing it today on these on these segues because that was 100% the next thing I was going to bring up. Well, thank you. Good. Um I want to I'll preface this by letting you continue by saying I think the most underrated aspect of this movie is the secondary cast because right. all of them are perfect. Like yeah. every single secondary character in this movie is so great. And go ahead and talk about a few of them right now. Yeah, so, I mean Paul Gleason, I mean who played the definitely uh deputy police chief uh Dwayne, I can't, I can't remember. Yeah, well, either way. Um he, he played the deputy uh, chief Dwayne T. Robinson. Yeah, Robinson. Okay, Rob I Robinson. His last name. Yeah, but that was so he's the guy that shows up when Powell is already there. Yeah, and and all the other cops show up. He's like the dude in charge. Yeah, he's trying to take over and and, <laughs> and he's yeah. great. Yeah, and Paul Gleason <laughs> is the typical eighties asshole. You remember him from those movies as the Breakfast Club, right? Uh, you know, he's the shitty vice principal in that. Yeah. So that's for your point of reference. So yeah, and it, it he just the way he takes over the movie and then eventually kind of. <laughs> comes along you know come come around he's so incredulous yeah. too about him like how do we know he's not working with them like yeah be yeah. shitty the entire time yeah <laughs> finally he yeah <laughs> but then you know uh william atherton aka richard thornburg who is a plays a reporter character aka the greatest dick of all 80s yes movies. sam look i'm begging you simon's already had a remote thing with that santa sing along i'll tell him to swing by some i'm not sitting on this i don't want to hear it this is my story i, I am hear you. up there sam, all right look sam i tell you what you don't want to give me a truck? I'll go and I'll steal a truck. Hey, give us a break, Thornburg. Eat it, Harvey. <laughs> yes. And, oh, and, 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 and he, that guy deserves, like, an honorary Oscar for being a shithead in everything he's ever played. <laughs> and then there's a lot of times where he doesn't, like, he talk, he's talking about that kind of character. Um, even, for example, he played the same character in Real Genius. That's his... Yeah. Uh, that's a prime yeah, example. example. I mean, of course, we all know him as Walter Peck in Ghostbusters, but... He has no dick, yes. He has no dick, yes. Um, but he makes up for it by being one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's totally true. For the entire one. decade. Yeah, and then even in, even in uh, Biodome. All the way into yeah, Biodome. Yeah, even in the Biodome, the mid-90s. Never, he never, dick never sleeps. Yeah, and I, and I know he doesn't like that be known for that but anyways i digress but but he's so good at yeah, it like, I, i'm saying I, yeah it's hard for you not to appreciate it when he's doing it at a level that other people can't do <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's just so much better especially, at being an asshole especially as a, like the report i mean as you know being a reporter that has to get the story he has to get the yeah. get out there and, and he makes an appearance in the sequel too which that's the only part of the sequel i'll mention but whatever but still it, it he it's like on cue his humanity is dropped, and he just does yeah. not give a fuck. It's a nice touch. <laughs> and, I mean, of course, we all talk about, you know, uh, Sergeant A.O. Powell, a.k.a. the Kurt character, Powell. who yeah. I'm convinced is that essentially was Family Matters, but they just put him in Chicago, and that's it. <laughs> there, I, is a, there is a popular internet fan theory that that this is the same character, that Herb Powell... Under after the duress of dealing with this whole first movie, relocates to Indiana or Chicago. I'm sorry, Illinois, yeah. and assumes the name Carl Winslow to start a family over there, and then that's how Family Matters becomes a movie. I, I like the show. idea of this theory is that he would move 
change his name <laughs> because due to like PTSD reasons, assumingly, but stay a cop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like you'd still work that dangerous nope, job. Still like, a cop. Yeah. In Chicago of all right. places. <laughs> like uh, an, an also like yeah. terrible city. Not to, like not know, like Mayberry. Not yeah. not not trying to knock Chicago. Chicago is great, but like you really have to have brass yeah. brass Chicago, nuts. Yeah, Chicago to be a can be great. There. It's also still dangerous. Yeah, it's like, dangerous like LA and Detroit, you right, know, and right. all those other major cities and yeah, oh, it's it's, it's funny, but yeah, I mean, if I may, for um, something I think is underrated about this film, and this ties in with both of what you guys said, um, specifically Roger with the secondary characters, I think what I liked the most about this as an action film is that the plot is so, like, simple. Like, it doesn't get too wrapped up in itself, even with all of these secondary characters coming in. Like it, it introduces tons. Yeah, it introduces yeah. a lot of them, but it's not to the point where you're like, wait, who's that guy? What's he do? Like, yeah. everybody has a purpose. They do their little thing. You know, it doesn't get too ridiculous. There's The, the villains have a thing that they are there to do. They're there to get money. You know what I mean? And then, oh, is it terrorism? No, it's not. Okay, let's move on from that, but kind of still there. Yeah. But it's there's never like a twist, like we're also here to kidnap your daughters or, like, yep. and kill your dog and your grandma. <laughs> we just stole their stereo. I, you know, nothing gets crazy. And I really appreciated that about it there's- because it allowed me to be submersed in the action, which is the reason yeah. you're watching the film. There's no there's no other misdirects apart from the one that they wrote into it themselves. Like the the misdirect of them being a terrorist organization that the villains have mm-hmm. is the only part of the movie where you're like thrown for anything because it's part of the plan. But it's like, like it's a not, gentle throw. And it's, it's not it's, right, it's yeah. not something that's like trying to throw you off the scent. That is their plan and they state it. Like they say out loud, like, well, we're not terrorists, but we want them to think we are. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's not a misdirection to the audience, it's a misdirection to the other characters sure. in the film. Yeah. And that that just makes sense. And like, you know what the thing about that too about the character too is like Theo, for example, becomes Reminds me of the character in GoldenEye, uh, the character played by... Oh, the Alan, the Alan Cumming guy? Yeah, Alan Cumming yeah. guy. Kind of the same glasses. Kind of Bordis. Like, I just forgot his name. Yeah, yeah. Bordis. <laughs> I, yeah, I had to say it in Russian accent. Say with his... Like, <laughs> you can't say with, it any other way. Yeah. With the weird like kind of premise to him. Yeah. I'm a computer man. Yeah. I'm a tech type, type. I hack. Yeah, yeah hack. That. And, that's, yeah. and that's how Theo is. And it, you know, yeah. it's what's, what, what I read about this too coming into that, that Theo, the character, the actor's name, which is Clarence Gilliard... As comes across so as intelligent, becomes a college professor, retires oh, yeah? from acting, and becomes a college oh, professor. Wow. Well, so makes but, sense. But I love Theo's like just him like the, he's the little, he's the good little one liners. He has a couple flourishes, you know. Yeah. yeah. But just and like it's just like him with the glass, like just. Constantly. I like his interplay between him and Hans, where yeah. he's very manic in a way where he's like, Why you know, think we bring you along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Hans is very matter of fact, like no, everything is going according to plan. You know, yeah. like it's everything's on the up and up. Uh, forgive us all our terrible Alan Rickman yeah, impressions. Yeah. I was like, just about to say, I'm like, as, we, I'm not going to attempt to. I don't think we've like said one line from <laughs> we, Alan Rickman. We will talk about Alan him Rickman in names. depth further, but it's it's difficult not to want to talk about him now. Um, the plot is so well formed and so well written, like in a way that is dumb that other movies can't yeah. make it this easy for themselves. I love it. 
like it's it starts and it ends and everything makes sense in the middle like it allowed me to enjoy what i was there to enjoy which was the fighting the how is he gonna get out of this sticky situation and they write into all of it like they're setting all this stuff up as dominoes and just knocking it down every 20 minutes that's like one of my biggest complaints about other action movies is like they get so they take themselves way too seriously the plots they get wrapped up in themselves and it's like Okay, let's be honest. Like, I didn't come to this movie to see, like, this side plot about your sister, and then we go off on another trail, and often things don't get tied up, and, you know, that's not that's not what you go to right. an action movie to see. You don't go for the, like, the screenplay! Oh, my God! <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's not like that. It's like, just pull me into something that I can believe is happening, and then take me on a joyride. And this can do that while also being fun and funny. Sure, and, yeah. And, like actually it definitely good. has some comic like, relief yeah. and it has good comic relief like the one-liners are one-liners but some of those one-liners are fucking great like i love the yippie line i think it's really funny but uh alan rickman threatening uh uh holly when he's up when they're up there and she calls him a common thief and he says i'm an exceptional thief for all your posturing all your little speeches you're nothing but a common thief I'm an exceptional thief, Mrs. McLean. And since I'm moving up to kidnapping, you should be more polite. And he's like super serious and sells that super great. The I have now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho! Is super funny. I really like, like that part too. Fucking, it's every, ridiculous, but yeah. it's really funny. It, it is ridiculous. But that's in the context of this movie. It needs a little bit of levity, and like having that ridiculous aspect of some of the dialogue makes this movie better. Yeah, every line that Harris says is fantastic and like ridiculous and i'm sorry not harris ellis every single line that's harry ellis that ellis says in this movie yeah. mm-hmm. is fucking stupid and hilarious and you want all of them to continue because he's so great at it yeah you know just tying in the aspects of great dialogue and great secondary characters um my personal mvp of the movie secondary character is ellis that's you know speaking only for me hans bobby i'm your white knight I just can't say enough great things about how well this movie is constructed and that if people don't recognize that as something that is fairly rated, then it's definitely underrated because you need to recognize it, viewer of this film. Um, man, I'm going on a lot. What <laughs> is there? Uh, speaking of, you know, on some more under things, is there anything else that you guys feel you know, before we just talk about the, the aspects of this movie that are recognized quantities before we go anywhere else? No, no, I'm, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> We've said what we had to say yeah, about we, things we might have missed. We rolled on with that one for a minute. All right, then. I mean, really, the last part of this is the fairly rated, which is the meat of the the meat of the whole thing. Like, this is cited as being, I mean, if not like the best, like I said, it's the best action movie. Whatever you can, we can argue that. But as far as like heroes and villains, it's one of the more iconic pairs of protagonist and antagonist that is in an action movie you sure. remember john mcclane you remember hans gruber Absolutely, like yeah. these are by name like right. and you can that'll evoke something in you immediately well yeah i mean like i had said in the beginning of the show i hadn't seen this in forever and i'd only seen it in bits and pieces but i knew a few things about this movie that i remembered very clearly hans gruber john mcclane yippee Kaye. yeah <laughs> so and those you know. are those stick with you for a reason. Like yeah. if we're if we're saying anything in this is is fairly lauded, it's the performances of the main characters. I think I think everybody that is putting in work in this movie that has the most screen time, they're knocking out of the park. Like right. every single minute that I have Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman on screen together is a triumph. Like I think they play so well together. I think they play well off of each other, and I think that they 
they have such a genuine chemistry that it makes me it honestly makes me kind of sad that Hans Gruber has to die at the end of this movie because I would have loved a sequel with the two of them again. Right. Yeah. I thought they were such captivating characters, specifically in the context of them being together. Like they do so good. They just do so good. Like, you know, playing off of each other and, you know, one fucking with the other enough to get him to, you know, right. to show his hand a little bit to then fuck with the other one back to try to put him at, you know, at a disadvantage. Like it's such a wonderful push and pull that other movies just don't, they just can't get that all the time. And it's rare when it happens so perfectly. And I just think they deserve all the credit in the world. You know, this is Alan Rickman's first movie, like first movie he ever was in. I still can't, it still blows my, it still blows my mind. That right there alone. Way to make an entrance. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, and the fact that, here he is, then you see him in Robin Hood, a movie, you know, a couple years later. Yeah, just a few years later. Yeah, just, but having that kind of command on presence like that. And this is a guy who, a little bit of a background, was a graphic designer, just went into acting school, and then just... Yeah, did stage play. Yeah, like, he, yeah he, he did he, stage. He, he did stage. English, yeah, English TV. And, you know, yeah, he's, he's British, so of course right. he did theater. That's just what they do over yeah. there, right? Isn't that how that happens? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, how they train. That's how they yeah, train their actors. That's why they're all yeah. fucking great. But he never got type but he never got typecasted because he No, sure, he's too good. Yeah. Like I mean, you know, to be fair, he he plays an excellent villain, but You can like him as well. But yeah, you can. And you do. That's the yeah. thing that's so great about it. If he's typecast as anything, it's characters you're supposed to like less than you do because yeah. you always like him. You can't help it. He's, yeah. He has such charisma and like such a presence. Yeah, I think one of his roles that I like a lot, not to get off track and no, die hard, but um, one of his roles that I really like a lot, and I don't think it gets talked about very much, but it's funny and it's and it's kind of adorable, is in Dogma. Yeah, yeah. he's, he's that, the only watchable uh, part of that the movie. The angel, yeah, and he's just kind of you know, guiding around yeah. and being, you know, godly mm-hmm. and stuff and Did, it's, or biblical, I should say. Yeah. And it's it's humorous. And he's delivering these like biblical lines, like so matter of factly. Well, he's delivering Kevin Smith dialogue in a way that doesn't make me want to rip my ears right, off. Right, right, right. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I mean, he's we can't say enough good things about Alan Rickman. And it starts here. Like, this is where it starts. And I think that that's. If anything, this movie will endure for his performance alone. Like, it's so good. It's, you know, it's hands-on the best part of this whole movie, in my personal opinion. And I think that's part of the reason that he's stuck around for so long. Especially the line in the dog that cracks me up is, the way I understand it, it's mostly a joke down here, talk about sex. And I had to look that up for a quick second, because I remember the way he delivered that, too, about sex. But just, um, what I like, my favorite part about this movie, one of the favorite parts is when he has the CEO, he's sitting there, he has a gun. Yeah, I'm gonna give you to the count of five. Count of three. Count of three. No more. No No less. less. Yeah, Yeah. and like he's trying, like he's trying to BS his way out of it, and just like this is the way he just. He's he's like savage. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I thought the same thing. He just shoots him in the head, and then he's like, "Okay, we're going to do this the hard way." (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and then gets up, and then we're walking out. You see the blood on the thing, like it's like it, like it was wallpaper, like nothing. Uh, Apparently, that they had originally not to cut you off. I'm sorry, but. They had originally done that scene in a way that didn't show as much blood, mm-hmm. but the producers thought it was too graphic. Like, they showed more of the actual gunshot as opposed to the end of the gunshot. Mm-hmm. But what they then the director was saying, what they ended up with was way better than they originally thought they could get away with and was gorier. So they were happy that they made that they had them make the changes. But I just thought that was funny. Like, what would it have looked like if that was the worst part of it? Like, what yeah. we saw? But I don't know. It still works. It's effective as fuck, and that shot's cool. Yeah, that shot's cool. <laughs> but, I mean, the way he delivers that line, but then even when he when he calms down, the guy's like, 
Listen. Yeah. It's, it, it's fine. Just He's, you, you, you'll get your revenge. Until he isn't, he is 100% in control of the entire movie. Like, yeah. through, you know, until obviously he is not. And that was, that's by design. It's actually, it's fun because in the historic usage of the words protagonist and antagonist, like, it's easy to use them as, like, hero and villain. But... The protagonist of this movie is actually Hans Gruber. Like, he's the person that has a plan, that has it set in motion, that is going to do the entire thing the way it's supposed to be set up. And Bruce Willis is written as the antagonist character who is, Throwing you know... Throwing a wrench in his plan. Is a fly in the ointment, yep. to use his own words. Like, you know, that's that's written that way specifically for the, like, for the wordplay and for the, you know, the back and forth between the two of them. So, again, you would be... It would be easy to just say that John McLean is the protagonist of this movie, but he isn't, and that's again that's no, more of a definition of wording he's than the anything hero else. Of this movie Correct. is what he is. Yes, but it's 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 often that people will use those words hand in hand, and they do not they're not designed they're not, that way. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not how English works. But I just wanted to put a little tip of that to the, to the screenwriters also because that was something they also yeah, did it's directly. True. And it's it's interesting too because I yeah I like I just like the character. I mean. The cops show up. We knew this was going to happen. Like, yeah. They just they just have it all planned out. He's so cold and calculating, and yeah. And when he when he finally does lose it, it's even he even loses control in a way that isn't even like super rattling to him. Yeah. Like, he's still he's still pretty composed, and he kind of feels like he's going to be mean, okay. He's dangling from the building at the end of the movie, and he's still kind of like you can tell like he's sneering. He yeah. thinks like he's, he's not, going to win. Yeah. And I also love the part where he starts to fall, and you just see his face drop. Like, okay, well, I'm dead now. <laughs> like another fun production oh, note. Yeah, if you want, if you want some yeah. more production stuff, so they have him fall. It's not mm-hmm. obviously a, a stunt fall of that height, but it's like from a rig, mm-hmm. and it's you know a, a number of feet up. So the 70, seventy feet up. Well, the the production his fall is last. Like it, it's a green screened. Oh, okay. So like when they show the green screen, it's I think it's like maybe thirteen or fourteen yeah. feet for his actual fall. But the producer or the director is telling him like, okay. I'm going to give you a cue, and when I count to three, we're going to drop you, and then you're going to react. They dropped him before. They dropped him before they they counted. Like, they just said one, and then they let go of the rig. So his face, it's one one take, and that is his actual reaction to being dropped early. Because he wasn't expecting it. Sure. So, and it's like, it's a shitty thing to do to an actor. But but, it's fun. But look at what it gave you. Like, what a fantastic reaction shot. And that has been, like, parodied a hundred times, and you can't even make it ever look that convincing because it was, because it was that. Can I also say that the shirt and tie, not once did it look ever like wrinkle. Like that's how composed it was. His shirt and tie looked; it was in control. By the end of the movie, Bruce Willis is like charred yeah. and like wet. Oh yeah, and just a tattered mess. And Hans Gruber's like, yeah. and still, yeah, and still Tyler to the very end, and fresh. yeah, man. <laughs> the best of Montgomery Ward's had that at the time. <laughs> I mean, again, this is one hundred percent by design. Like this is. The reason this movie works so well is because you take the journey with Bruce Willis and you get dirty and you you see the blood, you walk through the glass. Like this is all stuff that you do to get down and get into the filth of the film to come out victorious. Like it's important that you win because you went through the journey. Hans Gruber was just there. Like that's how he got to stay composed the entire time because yeah. he was more a, a victim of circumstance than anything else, you know, despite being the villain of the film. It's just such a great movie. Um, we talk a whole lot about Alan Rickman. I would like to take a few minutes to talk about Bruce Willis, who I think was never better than he was in this movie. Like I, I think it's almost unfair to chalk up an entire career based on this film to just being great in this film, but it kind of is. Like 
I don't know. I'm not a huge Bruce Willis booster. Like, I, yeah. you know, your mileage may vary, but I don't. I've never seen anything that I enjoyed him on the same level as I do in this movie. I think he's perfect. You know, and I think it's it's definitely a testament to his performance as to why this movie has maintained as long as it has because he's really funny in it and he's really enjoyable and is all of the things he would later come not to be. <laughs> like, I don't know how he can make such a 180 and now he's like abrasive and rude and everything he's in, but you know, is here he? we are. I don't know. I guess I, just I don't, think so, yeah. I don't think, about I think he's kind Bruce of a prick <laughs> like in everything I see him in. I, they, they kind of play shades of him. Like as the movie's, progress specifically these movies like the franchise mm-hmm. these movies he just becomes like i said just like a like a heartless kind of killing robot that quips one-liners occasionally he's like this is a this with the world's ending as far as we know man he's like thomas gabriel has got us up on the ropes and we're going into the third act and it makes no sense we just stop and start telling jokes about myspace and goth chicks and he's gone it's just corny man it's like this is Die Hard. We got to keep it Die Hard. Die Hard's not funny. And I'm like, Die Hard was really funny. But I don't want to say that because he's on a roll. Yeah. But he's not that in this movie. He's a dude. Thinks and yeah. feels and reacts and, you know, tries to come up against the better of a situation he's been dealt. And you actually root for him. And I do not root for Bruce Willis in any other movie but this. So I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Nothing? Oh, Bruce Willis in this movie, I think, like, even... Coming off the '80s success of his uh, uh, his song, uh, he was a video with <laughs> like fucking Return of Bruno. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck out of here. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a wild success. No, but um, I don't mind. I mean, in terms of act, Bruce Willis becomes Bruce Willis becomes kind of typecasted after this for a while, but that's his own merit. I don't think he cared. I think, no, that's he, I saying, think but, he was taking them checks. Yeah, I was saying he's taking his checks. He has personal chef and every single set and golf outing and all this <laughs> crap that he ended up doing. We hear stories from Kevin Smith about and all this. But Yeah, Kevin Smith, not a fan of Bruce Willis. Yeah, shocker. Um, but no, it's... I think Bruce Willis in this movie captured himself. I think he carried the movie well enough and I think that for a debut film where he was carrying the role... If we, had I known, like if we known what he, the track we took, and then maybe who knows if he didn't end up in this movie. But I think, especially because the other Die Hard franchises, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I only watched two, and that was it. The rest of them, I really they looked really stupid to me. Um, but to find out that this is the one thing that got him going, and that he never comes back to it. I mean, Die Hard two actually, I don't know, it wasn't bad, but. Why don't we? I said at the end, we'll, we'll be close to wrapping it up here. Let's just go. We'll breeze through the rest of these movies real quick. So there's this movie being as great as it is, and it being the '80s, begat a million sequels. Right. Not immediately, but I mean, not all at once immediately. But the first, the first two of them come pretty quickly. So Die Hard two comes out two years later, and then Die Hard with a Vengeance comes out in '95. So we got three movies in the '90s, all pretty quickly. Bop, 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 bop. So the second one's pretty good. I mean, like it's not my favorite, it's but I'm, John, I'm with you. It has some moments. It's like, got John Amos in it. Or yeah, like, John Amos is yeah, fine. He's awesome. You know, awesome. Like, I love him. It has a semi-memorable villain. Like yeah. I can't remember his name, so that's why I said semi. But you know, you see his ass. I guess that's something. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Um, I don't know. Like I don't hate it. I, you yeah. seem to like it more than I do. But it's not bad. I mean, and I, I did see parts of the third one, but I can't remember if it's Jeremy Irons. And Jeremy the- Irons is Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah. That is. I mean, spoilers for a 23-year-old movie. He is Hans Gruber's brother in this movie, in Dire with a Vengeance. Um, I did spoil it for you because they spend forever to get you to that point, even though you kind of know. Uh, it's good, but it feels like it's trying too hard to capture some of the first movie, and it doesn't really pay off. Like, 
it has good performances. Samuel L. Jackson's in it. He's fine. Uh, Bruce Willis is trying his hardest that he would try hard. Uh, <laughs> trying as hard as he would for the first movie. In this movie, I think it's the only other one he feels like he's actually giving a shit about. Um, right. And it shows because it's it's okay. Like as far as all of these movies are concerned, one is great, two is fine, and three is pretty okay. Like it's probably better than two, but maybe not. And then there's two other ones that don't matter. No yeah. one cares. <laughs> like, live for your die hard and then uh, whatever the fuck the last one's called. Uh, a good day to die hard. I don't even know what the damn name of the movie is. It's terrible. Don't ever watch it. It's really, really, really bad. He has kids. Lacey, you, yeah. ha- you have not seen these movies? No. So, I do like the title of the second one, though, is Die, die hard, Harder. Die Hard 2, <laughs> Die Harder. <laughs> it's a great title. He... He has children, as we see in this first movie. Mm-hmm. So in movie, in movies four and five, they're old enough to be actors now. So the fourth one centers around his daughter, and the fifth one centers around his son. And they're both bad. Isn't Justin Long one of Justin them? Justin Long isn't... No, he is, he is his daughter's potential suitor person in oh. the fourth movie. Um, uh, screen darling Mary Elizabeth Winstead is his daughter, who is, you know, from she's Ramona Flowers from Scott Pilgrim, that one. I like her. Yeah, we all like her. She's, I love she's her. great, sure. but, you know, it's still a shitty movie. <laughs> like, yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah, just hard pass, don't watch. There okay. are people that defend the fourth one. Those people are wrong. And you don't have a show to tell me I'm wrong, so fuck you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, I still have your DVD set that you loaned to me. Maybe I'm going to go home go through and watch them. I mean, him. rifle through it. And then I'm going to come back here on our, on our <laughs> Any follow-up? Dave and Lacey or old show and be like, by the way, <laughs> I finally us. got around. Those sequels were perfectly acceptable. <laughs> I got around to watching the Die Hard Four <laughs> on the DVD you gave me. It's not even a Blu-ray; sat, it's a DVD. Yeah. Yeah. I sat myself down with a hard candy <laughs> with a with a Werther's original. I was going to say a Fireball, yeah. but yeah, Werther's original and a and a good, nice, warm pair of socks, and I watched <laughs> Die Harder, and I, I gotta tell you, David, I don't think it was, yeah, I'm certain slowly turning into Alan Rickman's voice from Old Lady Voice, anyway. I got, my slacks, on, I got my slacks on watching this. <laughs> so, I, it just occurred to me at the very end of this that we did very little to discuss the actual, the actual plot of this entire film. If for some reason you came into this episode not having seen Die Hard, I regret not doing that for you. But that being said, it's 30 years old and you should have seen it by now. It's legitimately one of the greatest movies ever. So, okay. All right. All that being stated, we've talked about all this stuff. I don't think our opinions have changed too much on this, right? I still think it's one of the greatest action movies ever. Roger thinks it's perfectly fine. You think it's perfectly fine. Yeah, it's fine. We're all kind of in the same place. All right. I understand. I will say, I need to clarify. Like, I do understand looking at it and looking at the entire picture, like how it can be lauded as such a great, amazing action film. I just don't feel that strongly about it personally. Like, I can't watch it and be like, yes, and get so into it. But that's probably just me. So. On a, certain, personal level, on a personal level, on a personal level, fair or on a personal level, overrated. But on the grand scale of things, okay, fair. I see how everybody. I get, get that because yeah. I, I am on a personal level. It can't possibly be overrated. I'd even say it's underrated. Yeah, but at an objective pace, yeah, it's it's great. But it probably isn't much more than great. You know what I mean? Right. But, I've spent so much time with this movie. I've watched it dozens of times. I watch it every year at Christmas, like I said. Like it's, I've gone and seen it in the theaters more than once now. I've taken my wife to go see it in a theater because yeah. she had never seen it. Like I've, I've, this movie has been something that I've kept with me a long, long time because I really do love it. And that's, 
you know, that's definitely painting my enthusiasm as it often does. So, you know, I, if anything, I wanted to do this episode just to kind of put a bit more of a positive spin on the the conversation instead of it's a Christmas movie or it isn't. Right. Like right. I wanted to actually talk about why this movie is great and why it's second, like all any other, other any other conversation is secondary to its greatness. Right. And that's again, a personal opinion, but that's what this show's for. So there we are. Um, I feel pretty good about this. You guys feel pretty good about it? I, we, I, we talked I about Die Hard. Very well, yeah. I like yeah. the fact we didn't talk about the plot of the movie because you, if you're listening to this, you're a fan of the movie already and you already know the plot. So why do we and need I, this? Yeah, I mean, and we, we kind of gave away most of it anyway. Yeah, so exactly. I, I don't, don't know if it's super important. A little bit about the plot. Yeah. yeah. When I praised its simplicity. Right, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's villains and there's a hero and the hero wins. That's the plot of Die Hard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of heroic... Roger, why help me with some of these plugs? Because I am tired. Okay. So <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Over Under Fair. You can go to our Facebook page, Over Under Fair, the Facebook page. <laughs> I like saying it that way. <laughs> um, and follow, yeah, so follow us on Twitter. Oh, hit us an email. I'm sorry, Over Under Fair Pod at gmail.com. Yeah, th- thank you. Okay, and, it's coming um, back to me. I've, I've, re- I've regained my sense. Shoot us okay. some ideas, some hate mail. Yes. Yeah, please man. Do. Weigh in, please. Uh, you know. Review and subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, or whatever they're calling it now. Google Podcasts, Spotify. Check us out. Yeah, also. check us out on Spotify. We're there. Yeah, and uh, coming soon. I just got to fi- finish up the configure. Find us on Stitcher, and okay. also I submitted us to iHeartRadio. So we'll see oh, how wow. that works. And so look at us, man. Expansion. Yeah, honestly, I'm at the point where I don't even know where all of these things like what all of these things are. So good job, Roger. <laughs> You've successfully encompassed apparently like the entire internet. We're going to take over the whole yeah. world. I'm like, we're on Stitcher. Don't know what it is. <laughs> but, but, but you can find us but there. You can find yeah. us there if you have it. People who know what it is, you are better at this than us. So yeah, definitely look for us on Spotify. Uh, for sure, Spotify would, it's really easy to find us on there and same thing with yeah, iTunes. So we really appreciate everybody listening in and, and tuning in, which we have Ninety three percent retention retention rate. So really, yeah. So well, anytime, look at us getting into numbers. Yeah, ninety three percent of people who listen to it listen to the entire episode. Guys, so that means I the really appreciate that. Yeah. Legitimately, we appreciate that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Just want to throw this that is in there. this is our last show of the year. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to a big 2019. We have some things on the horizon. We're gonna try to you know, like I had said before, we're gonna have some more guests on here across the rest of the SRD shows that we have you know had before and will continue to have and. Yeah, guys, I really appreciate you uh, giving us your feedback and listening in, and the, you know, the retention rate is high, so please keep listening. We will keep doing this, and I love you. I don't even know you, but I love you. So speaking for Lacey and Roger, I am Dave. This has been Over and Affair, and we'll see you in 2019. Thanks, guys. Dickhead.